Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman, and this week I am really excited to share with you a bonus episode that we have with Sammy Walker Herrera. And I have gotten to interact with Sammy uh, mainly on LinkedIn and have seen that you have Sammy have a, a definite interest in helping folks pivot out of EDU, especially out of higher ed. And I know um, I have seen that you started a Facebook group um, for people to talk about the pivoting book, um, which I think is really cool, which the Facebook group is called Higher Ed Pivoters. And so when we connected, I thought, well, it just makes a lot of sense. Sense and is very um, synergistic for us to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being here today and spending time with me. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for the invitation for being part of this podcast. It was great seeing yours and Tom's posts in Expatriates of Student Affairs and even just seeing so much more educational resources and opportunities for folks to check out ways to explore where their skills could potentially transfer. Absolutely. And and I should make a note for our listeners. Usually Tom and I are a package deal, um, but Tom had his second vaccine shot yesterday. I had mine a few days ago. Sammy mentioned to me earlier she had hers, um, I think you said last week, and um, Tom's on day two, which if you've had your shots and have had a re- uh, reaction, you know um, you're pretty much down and out for the count. So we really wanted to be able to capitalize on Sammy's time and and so it's just me. And so I get you all to myself. So I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad that we can chat. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, can you get started just by telling us a little bit about your background and your experience? Yes, thank you. So Sammy Walker Herrera, everyone. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and ella as well, since I speak Spanish. And in my own background, I've been in student affairs now for probably about like seven or so years, if I'm including my undergraduate experience, right? Of course, my graduate experience and about three years or so of full-time experience. And so my first experience in student affairs was working as a student employee in the career connection, uh, in the Career and Professional Development Center at Carnegie Mellon University, where I went for undergrad. I loved that experience. And for me, I didn't immediately see that as a future career in higher education, but I saw that as building my public speaking skills, building out my capacity for building out trainings and teaching folks and 
getting folks excited for a topic that's not that exciting to a lot of folks, right? It's not just the nitty gritties of a resume, but it's that sense of where do I want to carry not only my career development, but my life development. And so that was my first job ever. It happened to be in student affairs and higher education. But of course, roles that provide that opportunity, again, for public speaking, for training, for building out curriculum, those exist in so many other industries as well. And so Naturally, I connected with student affairs professionals. I connected with graduate students who happened to be in student affairs because they were working alongside me as an undergraduate student. And I learned of graduate programs in student affairs. And so that was my next step. Uh, after studying his, Hispanic studies and psychology in undergrad, I was like, I knew I was going to grad school for something, um, but I was figuring out what exactly I want to do. And I knew I wanted to be either a career coach or do a lot of similar types of work that a career coach does. Definitely the education focus. So I went to Slippery Rock University um, of Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of Pittsburgh. So an hour north of Carnegie Mellon as well. And it was just the perfect place for me. In undergrad, I studied psychology. However, I didn't feel like I fit in. And I realized there are so many more areas in psychology than just the six that Carnegie Mellon specialized in. And I loved adult developmental psychology, that sense of how do we grow? How do we learn over change? And how do we even create opportunities for folks to accelerate their growth, right? And you can do the same thing with career development and growth as well. Um, a lot of times when you work with a coach, you're accelerating that growth. It doesn't mean it wouldn't happen. It doesn't mean you couldn't do it yourself, but our time really matters. Our time and the energy we spend and even the emotional baggage we carry when we feel, feel feelings like imposter syndrome or stress can cause a lot of uh, pain or a lot of slowing down that process. My first full-time role in higher education is a, was as a diversity educator at a small private liberal arts college. Definitely a lot of transferable skills. Loved working with the students. Still have a lot of great relationships with those students. And as of a year ago or so, I started working at the University of Florida as a career coach, specifically for students in the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences, of which there are 30 majors. And I only know one of them a lot more in the content specificity. And so I would say about four months ago, I started my own career coaching business. It's called Chaos to Choice Coaching. And I help student affairs professionals reframe their job search from chaos to choice. Interesting. And so um, I, what I'm very curious about Especially as a, well, I'm going to say newer professional only because I feel like old, right? <laughs> but, you know, as on the earlier end of, the, of your career spectrum, mm -hmm. you have found a passion to help folks think about this pivot out of student affairs, yet it's a, it's a, it's a career pathway you just joined into. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious about that. Like what did um, lead you to this as a niche um, of folks that you're looking to support? Yes. And I know exactly what the spark moment was for this. So last summer around July or so, I was reading through Inside Higher Ed. And it's a practice I really advocate for folks to do when they're in, in an industry, you need to know what your industry is doing. And for some reason, in student affairs, often we're not told or um, encouraged to know about the entire higher education industry. It's a lot more than student affairs. So really checking into that helps you get a sense of job security. It gets a sense of innovation, folks that you can partner with. So I was reading through Inside Higher Ed as I do on Friday mornings, and I noticed an op-ed from a professor who was furloughed and then let go from his position during the pandemic. 
And he put out a plea for folks to start using LinkedIn in higher education, a plea for folks to really use their networks and help folks who are leaving higher education, whether it be faculty members or student affairs professionals or alumni and development, for example, right? Facilities folks as well, folks who've been in the higher education industry for many years to start connecting and recognizing that their skills can go elsewhere because our jobs in higher education even if tenured faculty, we see are precarious during this economic challenge. And honestly, just through the the less focus of higher education from the government, less funding and less support for students in that way. And so I, I read through that and this professor, his name is Dr. Eric Stevens. He's a friend of mine, professor of rhetoric and persuasion. So I was like, wow, I am very persuaded by this article. Yeah, it sounds like it. Get more of a sense of like what this initiative he was building is, because he was building an initiative called Higher Higher Ed. And the goal of it would be to do like a two, three day conference or so, bring folks in to talk about how our skills are transferable and help folks make a choice about whether or not they wanted to stay in higher education. And I thought that was really important. And that's also one of the reasons why I chose my business name, because I realized from even not only reading the op-ed, but I connected with him on LinkedIn as his plea. I set up a meeting with him on Calendly, and he actually brought me on to his small volunteer uh, event coordinating team to make the conference happen. And from that, I realized I've not ever questioned my career in higher education. I've just made an assumption that I'm gonna stay in student affairs, I'm gonna stay in higher education forever. It might be a good idea for me to even just get a sense, where else can my skills be useful? And then when I started thinking about that, I fell into a mini bit of despair. I was like, oh my God, I can't see where else my skills are useful, but that can't possibly be true. I can't possibly have the education, the skills, the experience, the interests, the passion, the values that I have, and they not be useful elsewhere. It makes me think about my undergraduate majors. As I told you, Jamie, I studied psychology and I studied Hispanic studies. And ironically, when I would tell people that I was studying those two things, I would either get, oh, that's really cool. You can do so many things with it. Or, oh, so I guess you're just going to be a counselor for Hispanic people. And I thought, wait, how can I have more than one degree and somehow have less options for things to do? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so I felt that same way of, there's no way that I have this degree in student affairs and it's not useful in a lot of other ways. I'm going to find out how it's useful for other ways. And the way I found out it was useful was I can help other people not just the students I work with in higher education, but professionals get a sense of their transferable skills, navigate imposter syndrome, and really put themselves out there, build their visibility, network, and get those roles that they have the qualifications for. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely make a lot of uh, of great points and and um, sort of. I think Tom and I are are very much aligned with what. That's why we started this podcast as yeah. well. And, and as we've spoken through folks throughout the season, the same thing, you know, and we, we recently aired um, Chrissy Roth Francis's um, podcast and she went from orientation to she now works um, in onboarding at a large ed tech company. And mm-hmm. one of the things that really like sat with me that she said was, you know, 
higher ed folks, student affairs particularly, are more than qualified Mm -hmm. for many of these jobs. It really does just come down to the degree to which they can articulate that transferability. Um, And it's, you know, I I think too, because I I used to be a faculty member in a a graduate student affairs program Mm -hmm. um, as a full-time faculty member, but I also have kind of taught adjunct for many, many years, uh, minus the last year because of COVID. And I had to check myself on what I could really manage, um, given that I have two children at home too. But um, in addition to the fact that I don't think that grad programs do enough to teach um, professionals about leveraging technology for student support and engagement or mm-hmm. actually leveraging technology at all. Um, that's like one of my personal bandwagons. But the other is, you know, we we just don't talk about um, what life might be if you wanted to leave higher ed, what might the options be, or even, you know, f- fine, you know, why would you advise people to leave higher ed? Okay, but at least like there is an, a very large contingency of opportunities that are higher ed adjacent, where you are still very much leveraging your skills. But in fact, you may be a better fit for a non-campus-based position, which, you know, it, I mean, if you l- listen to my episode, I, I love missing, working on campus. I miss working with students and seeing students. But there's also so much that really fits well, I think, with my personality, my strengths, being adjacent. And this whole like aspect of being higher ed adjacent is not really taught in programs. It's not embraced by our professional associations. And um, in fact, it's the opposite, right? Like one, I, t- I talked about this in my episode, but like one day I was on the NASPA faculty council and the next day I had a new job. I was the same. I was still supporting student success, in fact, at a broader scale, Mm because now, like, I work with 21 universities across the nation, but I couldn't serve on any a leadership position in any committees. Now, I will say to NASPA's credit, I was subsequently asked to participate in um, like a two day retreat about online student support. And so I, I think they're they're trying and they're working, but you know, these are systemic changes that need to be made because mm-hmm. this isn't a fit, you know, for everyone. And I mean, we don't, we don't, we have not yet talked a lot about salary mm-hmm. on our, um, on our, on our episodes. Not very many folks have talked about salary, but this week I just saw um, the high, that, um, what is it? Oh, higheredjobs.com posted like average salaries and you could look them up. And I texted Tom and I was like, this is a not right. I mean, I do not do my job just for the money, right? Like some people do, people who work in the business sector do. (laughs) I, that's not my only passion, but um, if you compare entry-level jobs in student affairs to entry-level jobs in businesses, by and large, it's like significantly different. So it does feel like there needs to be a lot of changes in in um, the preparation so that you all, you newer professionals do know what's out there. And I guess that's kind of a um, question I have for you too, is like, what thoughts 
do you have um, sort of how your preparation could have been different and how the professional associations could better prepare you to know what else is out there after um, you finish your program and not just um, campus-based positions? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And even what you talked about regarding salary, I mean, we live in a capitalistic society, right? The, in the society, we say what we put our money toward is what we consider valuable. And it's very easy to look at your own salary and then compare with the salaries of folks you went to undergrad with doing other yeah. types of work and say, oh, that must mean I'm not that valuable. And that is really sad, right? That sense of like mm-hmm. personalizing the fact that the system's not going to change very soon. Of course, like COVID has super disrupted higher education and student affairs, but not to the point where we're making 80K each, right? Yeah. Um, and so with that, I think naturally it's easier for folks to say, I want to look to an adjacent role or a completely different role than say, I'm going to stay here while I'm overworked I'm considered under, I'm being undervalued and I'm considering myself of less value because of that. It's a lot easier to say, I'm going to leave the field, which unfortunately means we lose a lot of really talented folks, right? Definitely. Regarding graduate programs, as well as professional associations, I think one thing that needs to be highlighted are the alum who have made the shift and talking about why they did so. And a lot of the the conversations about that haven't been like, well, it's because I hated student affairs so much. It's been, I've had such a successful career in student affairs. Mm-hmm. I was working in orientation for a number of years. I wanted a new challenge and I found something super exciting and I built yeah. out my network. I tested out what the skills are. And it happens that I'm making a lot more of a equitable salary or a salary that's really, truly commensurate with my experience, right? That's one of those like student affairs buzz phrases we hear, right? Like, oh, other duties as assigned, right? Salary commensurate with experience. We're not going to let you know what the salary is, yeah. but we're also and not going to tell you what, it's the, not, yeah, it's not <laughs> what really experience you need. With experience, but. Exactly. So it's like one of those common phrases. However, you might be able to find that in another place. So I think one thing would be leveraging the alum who've made that shift. But the more crucial core issue is that graduate programs, faculty members, and folks in student affairs need to see or not see anymore. They need to not see that leaving student affairs as a failure. That's what I see quite a bit is faculty members. I remember I was even considering in my first role, okay, I'm applying for roles in higher ed. I applied for a role at the place I was interning at, a couple of roles in the Pittsburgh area. One cool thing about Pittsburgh is it has a very high density of universities. There's about like Mm -hmm. 18 in the metropolitan area, which is awesome. But I was also looking at nonprofit roles. And I remember my advisor like looking at me like, it would be really sad for you to leave higher education. And it was working with students who had just graduated from college. So <laughs> it was just like folks who could be in graduate programs at the moment, but decided not to. And they wanted to work yeah. in like a volunteer capacity. And I was like, we need to not treat leaving student affairs or being pushed out of student affairs as a failure. And we need to also not get the sense that because I mastered in something specific in a specific industry and I'm not doing something that's 100% directly related, 
means I wasted my time, means I wasted my energy, means I wasted my degree. There are so many ways I find my degree is useful in a lot of other industries or, for example, like things like negotiation or sales or Mm -hmm. training and development where other folks, they might have masters in organizational psychology, but do they really have the same type of like engagement strategies that I have? I don't think so. But we also need to think about how do we talk about things, but how do we actually feel about ourselves? Because we'll only talk well about our accomplishments and only talk well about the things that we love doing if we feel good about ourselves as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I think the narrative has been, oh, you know, it's a fail if you if you leave student affairs. And, and yeah. I would really push consideration of just redefining what student affairs is, um, especially because there are a lot of individuals now who are working in support of student success. They're just doing mm-hmm. it from a different lens and a different institutional or organizational context. And it's it's actually really quite unfortunate that associations and graduate programs tend to be myopic in their view because I could have learned, I could have been a better campus-based student affairs professional if I engaged more frequently in professional development with folks who worked adjacent to higher ed, but in a Mm -hmm. business sector, because I could have learned a lot of the things that I've now learned, quite frankly, um, that I've learned on the job that I think help businesses run. They could help universities run and student affairs professionals. And so, you know, if there's any call to the profession that I would make, is that is 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 expand the scope like the position that you talked about at the at the nonprofit too mm-hmm. i mean it is not a campus based position but it is a position in support of student success mm-hmm. and you know why not also think start thinking about like it being a pipeline of educational success not just a you're in higher ed, you're in K-12. I mean, especially thinking about, you know, the higher or the high school articulation over a lot of folks working with high school students, helping them to get to college. It would be very powerful if we saw them as part of our profession too, because at the end of the day, we're all attempting to support student success. Um, That would be my, my dream world. In addition to don't make people feel like they're a failure if they've left the profession. And I think about, you know, it's interesting because like, well, my master's is in higher and post-secondary education, so it's pretty specific, but my doctorate was in ed leadership. Mm-hmm. And at first I didn't like that because I didn't want to be in classes with K through 12 folks. Cause I just want to talk about high red things that were really interesting to me. And I ended up when I was done with the program, I was so glad it was K through 16 focused for the reason I just mentioned. And also now like, you know, I, my pathway is considered like a unique thing to share with, with alumni in that program as a like value add yeah. versus a detractor. And I, I do, I think you're, you're right. We need to see that happening more and more for, for folks. Um, and absolutely the, you know, feeling your own sense of value for the skills that you have. It shouldn't feel like, oh, I wasted my time. You know, it's definitely very valuable. Yeah. And your example really resonates with me, right? That sense of like really learning from the K through 12 educational leaders as well. And as a career coach in higher education, 
a lot of us are really encouraged. Okay. NCDA, National Career Development Association. Yep. Okay. NACE, National Association for College, Colleges and Employers. Just use them. Yep. I've learned so much in the last year from career coaches out in the wilds of LinkedIn yes. based on their suggestions, their tips, things that are a lot more modern, things related to undergraduate students, graduate students, non-traditional students. And I've just gained so much that I didn't gain from perhaps my career counseling theories in graduate school or that I didn't learn from a specific certification. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that those failed. That gave me a great base. And maybe some of those coaches should know some of those things too, but we're coming from different angles. And I can really appreciate how, wow, I can translate this not only to the students, the students I work with, but my clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your credit, you mentioned reading um, inside higher ed sort of daily. And I think that that's great advice to give to folks because, because what, what I do see that we are trained to do is actually to be so narrow that you've got people that are only reading the journal for um, new student orientation or what was it? I can't remember. It's a really good journal because I used to read it all the time. No, it's like actually very specific to uh, new student orientation and transition programs. Mm -hmm. Like I used to focus on that because that was the area I was working in. And, um, you know, we we tend if you're in res life, you would focus on the res life conferences and the res Mm -hmm. life newsletters and the res life people. And so your thinking and and I, you know, just want to emphasize, I think that's great advice for listeners is, you know, start seeing higher education as being broader, a broad enterprise with which that you are a part of and that you should mm-hmm. be an, a student of and thinking about, you know, reading inside higher ed and think about the different avenues with which you could get involved. And then to your point with your specific discipline of career, yeah, that's great too, to be pulling in um, different perspectives from different realms, like career coaching in different aspects. I, I wish I would have done that more earlier on. I think that's great. Yeah, it's definitely been a help for me and definitely helped me even get a sense of, wow, I have skills that other people don't have skills in. When we're only around folks who have the same educations as us, who were in the same cohorts as, with us, or kind of gained the same theoretical backgrounds, There's one time I attended a facilitation after a coaching call and I left halfway through this facilitation because at some point really early on, one person who was also a participant just started dominating the conversation, super negative, random tangents, not very helpful, but the lead coach from that experience wasn't doing anything about it. And with coming probably from the frame of, well, any opinion is a good opinion. Let's just try to get all the opinions out there. But it was so dominating and negative that I felt uncomfortable. I could imagine other folks felt uncomfortable. And because even though this person also works as a coach, right? Also, this person educates folks and trains folks and hosts workshops and different opportunities. I could see how my skills from student affairs specifically allowed me to, at least in that one specific case, right? Facilitation. I knew I was a better facilitator. I knew exactly how I would navigate that situation and create a more welcoming and open environment for folks to feel like, yes, I can talk about what I was hoping to get from this or learn from other folks' perspectives. And so things like being on LinkedIn, right? It's not just about having the profile. It's about 
getting to really see what are other folks doing so that you can say, wow, I can do that too, or I can do that way better. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to make sure you, you mentioned some of the things that you've been doing. Um, you're doing coaching one-on-one for folks. I know I shared the, um, the Facebook group. What other things have you been doing to support folks who are looking to make the pivot? And what's some like key advice that you would give to them? Yeah. So I'm actually not coaching one-on-one. So I always do like a cohort model. I missed that. That's cool. Okay. No worries. So I have a program that's running right now. It's called student affairs to elsewhere. And so I have a few clients who are running through that. And each week we are learning just a lot about ourselves, about different industries, how to really understand skills. And I wanted to build it as something that wasn't this week is resumes, this week is cover letters, this week is LinkedIn. I wanted to make it very specific to the student affairs experience and really build upon itself. I know one of my clients um, mentioned, hey, it's the first week. You gave us a lot of homework. And normally I wouldn't feel very good about that, but I know that this is something that's going to really help me long-term. And they even mentioned like, okay, maybe we should have like one thing in here that's like an instant gratification. So I built that in, right? Um, Making sure that it was kind of like a co-created experience. But that sense of having someone who has that student affairs or the higher ed background is really important uh, for folks who feel like no one else is really going to understand or I still need some help getting a sense of how to transfer that. So I've been doing that. Regarding the Facebook group, Higher Ed Pivoters, the creator of that, Celeste Demby, It has been amazing, has been really advocating for the book Pivot by Jenny Blake, highlighting all these different resources. And she brought me in as a co-admin for the group. So I provide a lot of logistics and organization aspects in the back. I'm going to be co-coaching with her or at least co-facilitating some of the book discussions as well. So I really appreciate Celeste bringing me in. That's a shout out to you, Celeste, if you're listening. Um, And just that opportunity as well for folks who want to take more action, right? I think what I'm noticing from folks in expatriates of student affairs is that folks are at all different levels of where they're at. Some folks are just genuinely curious. There's some graduate students in there, right? There are folks who they're not ready to make, take some action. There's some barrier there, right? And that can be an emotional barrier or a sense of duty to students or duty to managers, supervisors, or guilt to things like that. And those are heavy feelings. And so it's great to have that like subgroup of expatriates of student affairs, just for folks who are like, I really want to build out like just my base knowledge so I can do this by myself, or I at least know some of the things that I need to be doing if I want to work with a coach. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way for for people who are really thinking about what do I want to do? I'm not really sure. It it is a really great avenue to have like um, that kind of dialogue. And you, it is so true. I I look in that group, and it's it's great to see folks pop in there who have been out of student affairs for quite some time, mm-hmm. and they're giving advice and support. But then also, um, you know, it's it's a space for people who are just checking in. So, and what I've appreciated from seeing posts in there, as well as the folks that we've had on um, our season, is that there there are some people that are are seeking to run from student affairs. Like that's mm-hmm. a reality. They feel drained, they feel overworked, and they feel underpaid. Um, but there's really just 
I'd say a large majority are also just looking for something different and a different way to use their experiences Mm -hmm. and their skills. It's not necessarily they're looking to leave and run away, but just more run towards something. And I think that's great. And I love um, the fact that you all are doing the the book club, you know, because I think that's a great way to kind of self-reflect and think about it. So um, that's awesome. And and I will put... um, links in the show notes for um, folks to learn more um, about the, the book club, the expatriates of student affairs group, anything that you want to share about your cohort model um, that you run. And um, hopefully to that article that you talked about, that was kind of a, a pivotal moment for you. Oh yeah. Um, I'll definitely send that. That would be awesome. Um, what I'd love to kind of just close out with is hearing from you. What do you see next for your own career path? Will you be pivoting out of campus-based EDU? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm definitely enjoying my role uh, working as a career coach, definitely working with students. And I read your article on LinkedIn that said, like, these are all the different benefits I've been getting from my higher ed adjacent role, Um, being able to use the skills that I built throughout my experience, my education, for example, your doctorate, right? But you miss working with the students. And I think for a lot of student affairs professionals, it's very easy to say throughout 2020 and 2021, we've been missing working with students the same way that we have been used to doing so. So I think a lot of folks are getting a little bit of that intro of like, not being able to directly work with students in the ways that they anticipated and getting a sense of like, is that okay for me? Is that not okay for me? And how do I then even make a mini pivot, right? Pivoting isn't just leaving a job or leaving an industry. You can make small pivots in the role that you're in to allow you to build the strengths or really hone in on the strengths that you want to use. And so I think for me, more of my pivots would be just making the role that I'm in Uh, more enjoyable, right? And getting a sense of, okay, really getting to have the in-person experience. Because I started my role in March, 2020. And for a second, I was like, uh, I'm not exactly sure what the job security looks like. I'm not exactly sure what's (laughs) going on here. Let me work really hard to make sure that I can really support students. I can have a good transition, but also feel um, more security in that sense, right? Especially because I moved from Pittsburgh to Florida. So it was not only a functional area change or university change, but it was a geographic change as well. Um, Luckily I'm from Texas. So like the heat and humidity is something I'm pretty used to, except for my hair is still not used to it on that. (laughs) So I think for me, I'm trying to get a sense of what are those small pivots? Because I think for a lot of folks in expatriates of student affairs, whether you hate what you're doing right now, or you just want to explore future options, or you just want to explore other careers in general, there are still so many small pivots in the roles and your experiences right now that you can do that can make your life just more enjoyable day by day. And that can help you inform, okay, is it an industry switch that I want to make? Maybe it's more of a functional area shift, or maybe it's, I really do think having a promotion will allow me to do the things that I want. So I think that's what my focus has been right now. I think that's that's a really important point to make and and this didn't come up on my episode but you know I'm reaching for years in my current position and I'm very much someone who's uh, motivated by challenge and it's taken me time to self-reflect which is it sounds like that's something that you've done a lot of and that are helping people do um 
for me, you know, I have, I had been recruited for some positions recently and I thought, um, I mean, I was surprised because, you know, imposter syndrome, truthfully, I'm like, wait, you just found me. And like, you know, so it was, it was a great honor to be um, recruited and in the process. And I found myself excited to do some of the things that those positions would include. But I was like, but that it's not the company I'm at now. And I really actually like where I'm at now. But what I, what I realized through self-reflection was just that I, I wanted to add um, some different things to my portfolio. And mm-hmm. so I have since taken the initiative to have some conversations with the additional folks in my company to say like, can I help with this? Can I help with that? Can I do a little of this? And um, it's kind of fresh uh, conversation. So I'm not exactly sure where it's going to land, but um, I think that that's an important, you know, consideration for folks to do is just, you know, to think about it. And also, you know, you do want to stay in a role, uh, you know, a fair amount of time um, so that, you know, you don't look like you're a, you know, a, a consistent career changer. And so, um, you know, it's smart to to think about different ways you can derive satisfaction from from your position. And and one of the things that you're doing um, by kind of starting some of your things sort of as, I guess, a side hustle, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's another Facebook group um, for side hustlers and student affairs. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, but, you know, that's kind of a, a, a thread that I've now seen through a lot of the folks that we've had on the show is that a lot of their side hustles led to what became then their full-time position. It, it, and it's sort of just, especially those who are actually now working like full-time for themselves, uh, their mm-hmm. professional speakers or um, professional consultants in co- some capacity. Um, they they did what what you're doing, not that you have the intention of doing it in the future, but it's sort of advice that I'd, I'd echo for others is, yeah. you know, find the things that you're passionate about. If you can add them to your existing role, great. If not, um, do them on the side and then who knows where it could end um, in the future. So, um so, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm really appreciative to have you on the show and for you to share your advice. And um, I've enjoyed seeing your LinkedIn posts that you're where you're giving advice out to folks. And so I am sure that what you've shared will resonate with our listeners. And um, I look forward to, to tracking your success and sharing out your um, advice as well. We're certainly in um, a similar space and Tom and I, we sort of haphazardly in some ways ended up where we did. And so our desire is to just help um, folks, I guess, be more, more um, open to what is out there. And, and you're, you're now also providing a very um, planned um, and thoughtful way for people to think about it, which I think is wonderful. So, so thank you. And thank you again for your time being on today. And it was really great to meet you. Thank you. I'm so grateful this opportunity just to get to know you better, right? Your own story, connect with the listeners, right? Just even from listening or in the future, right after this episode. And so I really appreciate the skills that student affairs have brought the both of us to be able to do what we're doing literally right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sammy. Thank you. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. 
we spend one third of our life at work, it should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.